Thank you, Nate, and morning, everyone. Lovely to see you here at Richmond this morning as we continue this series uh, in Advent leading up to Christmas this year with a particular focus on our anticipation that God is going to renew all things, which I think is particularly important as we come this morning uh, to think about peace. Now, one of the more curious moments in modern history actually happened on New Year's Eve 1989, if you can think back that far. Um, The Cold War was ending, the Berlin Wall was coming down, uh, and cultural icon David Hasselhoff was invited to come and perform his hit song, Looking for Freedom, at a massive party that was organised at the Brandenburg Gate, New Year's Eve 1989. Some of you didn't even know that David Hasselhoff could sing, did you? Uh, But he was a musician as well as an actor. And so while hardly making a ripple anywhere else in the world, because actually it's a really terrible song, it was a number one hit in West Germany at the time. And it had become this, this kind of symbol of, of the time, a symbol of freedom, a symbol of progress in the world. And so while statues of Marx and Lenin are, are kind of falling across the communist world, there was the Hof uh, perched in a crane. I think we might have a photo of it here somewhere. There's the Hof perched in a crane above the Berlin Wall with a flashing leather jacket and resplendent 1980s-style mullet. And he stood there, he perched there, as this beacon of peace. An unlikely symbol of the promise of a new world, a better world that was emerging after this deep cold war. Because this actually, at the end of the 1980s, this was a bursting time of optimism. After this long arduous cold war where there was this level of anxiety about what was going to happen next. A new summer seemed to be emerging. There was this real belief at the time that better days were ahead. There was a political scientist actually at the time, Francis Fukuyama, who wrote an essay and it was titled The End of History. Can you believe that? The End of History. There was this kind of anticipation or expectation that this global era of conflict after you know, World War II and Vietnam and Korea and the Cold War, this global era of conflict was now over and we were ushering in this brand new era of peace and progress in the world. Doesn't that sound fantastic? But what's happened since? There's a massive list in there, from Gulf Wars to uh, the rise of global terrorism to war in Ukraine to ongoing violence in the Middle East, and on and on and on it goes. In his book, Strange Days, Mark Sayers uh, suggests that this is why we experience the world as so chaotic. He says this about our expectations of the world. The reason we feel as anxious as we do is that we don't see what we expected. We came running into this new world with arms raised in triumph like a boxer waiting for flowers to flood the ring. But as darkness swirls around us, our posture shifts. Our arms slouch in confusion as if to ask, what's this? Expect utopia and dystopia is jarring. In other words, what he's saying is it it seems to us like a a terrible disappointment. We expect so much in human progress. But what we see around us leaves us feeling pretty hollow and anxious and polarised and far from being at peace. We feel a bit let down because for all of our progress and our freedom and our advancement, 
the promises of our prevailing culture haven't delivered the kind of utopian future that we dream about. A future of progress, a future of peace. I just wonder, has anyone else felt like that recently? I know I certainly have. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, just making the mistake of switching the news on and just feeling heartbroken about what's going on. You know, we see some of those images coming from Israel and Gaza and we think to ourselves, for all of our education, for all that we know in 2023, we are still killing each other over a tiny piece of land. And we switch on the news this week and last week and we see we see this unbelievable spate of women losing their lives to domestic violence issues. And we think to ourselves, for all that we know, for all of our progress, for how far we've come, this is still happening at an alarming rate. And we see those things. We compare it with our expectations and it's jarring, isn't it? That the world is still like this, despite what we know, despite all our education and advancement. And we think back to a time like David Hasselhoff perched above the Berlin Wall, the end of history supposedly, and we realise that David Hasselhoff is not the Prince of Peace. This was not the answer to all of our problems and our issues and our brokenness in the world. But our question this morning is that of Jesus. What about Jesus? And at a time like this at Advent where we anticipate the coming of Jesus into our world, what does it mean for him to be the Prince of Peace? Let's have a look at these couple of verses and there's more like it in Scripture that describe the anticipation of Jesus coming into our world. In Isaiah it says, For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in Jesus' own words, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Our question is, as we lead up to Christmas and the coming of Jesus this year, is how do we make sense of this when our world clearly isn't at peace? We're not at peace within ourselves. We've perhaps never been so anxious. We've never been so unsure about identity. We have an epidemic of suicide in our society and culture. We're not at peace in ourselves. Nor clearly are we at peace with each other. In a world that values inclusivity and tolerance almost above all else, we're still polarised and hateful towards others that think and act differently to what we do. Our question is, is Jesus any different than David Hasselhoff? Let's hope the answer is yes. But what is this supposed peace that Jesus brings? What is the hope, the unique hope that we have as followers of Jesus. And perhaps the first thing that we need to clear up is this idea of peace from a biblical perspective. And it's a little bit different to perhaps the way that we use the word in our common vernacular today. It's the concept of shalom. Shalom. Which is so much more than just the absence of conflict. 
I just thought about that during the week. You know, we had this ceasefire in Israel and Gaza in a couple of days to allow hostages to get out. That was clearly not peace, was it? There wasn't any fighting, but there was no peace. Shalom is way more than just the absence of conflict. It describes something so much more expansive than that. I love the way that Tim Keller actually describes Shalom. He says that Shalom is a multidimensional, complete well-being. Physical, psychological, social and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right. With God, within oneself and with others. What Shalom is, is the reversal of all of the fractured relationships that we see in Genesis 3. All of the fractured relationships of the fall being made right. And this concept of shalom, this concept of peace in the biblical story is actually the end point. It's the telos, the goal of the whole of the biblical story of all things being made right. Because our story is not a Shakespearean tragedy. Lament and pain and tragedy are not the final word in our story. Because a time is coming when all things will be made right, when Jesus himself will come and heal all that is wrong with the world. When we, as God's redeemed people, living in God's redeemed creation, will experience true peace. This kind of tension that we experience now will finally be resolved. But by no means is this a, a new concept. There is this anticipation of shalom right from the Old Testament. I just want to bring up a couple of verses. We're going to do like a little Bible survey in five min- or three minutes here. All right, let's go back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah. Listen to, just take in these words of Isaiah. And we get this vision of what is to come, this vision of shalom, of flourishing relationships. It says this in Isaiah 65, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The formal things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought as a mere child. The one who falls um, to, fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people." My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy On all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This passage embedded deep in the Old Testament anticipates God's future. And it's a beautiful picture of shalom, isn't it? 
It is like a reversal of all of those fractured relationships in Genesis chapter 3. A picture of shalom. Of restoration that involves all of God's creation. Of people living as a joy and a delight. Of peace between animals. Of work without frustration. Enjoyment of all of God's creation. And as we push deeper into the biblical story and Jesus enters the scene, we begin to understand what does this look like when it starts to be embodied in our world. Not just anticipated, but actually embodied and lived out in a very real way. And we could say lots of things about Jesus this morning and the way that he lived this out, but I just want to give us one tiny little glimpse from Luke chapter 8. And it's a tiny little story in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus has an encounter with a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. This is a woman who has been ostracized from her community because of her condition. She doesn't have place. She doesn't have a voice. She's marginalized because of who she is. And she has been spending her whole life trying to resolve her issue. She's spent her life savings trying to sort herself out. And almost as in her last act of desperation, as Jesus is walking through a crowd on his way to somewhere else, Jairus' house, he's going somewhere else to do something that Jesus can only do. In a last act of desperation, she reaches out just to touch the edge of Jesus' cloak as he walks past in the hope that that might make a difference. And in an instant... The woman's healed. Like it's remarkable. But so too is what Jesus says to this woman when he realizes what's going on. He turns to her and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in shalom. Go in shalom. What he's saying to her is that you were restored to wholeness. You were restored to life. You were restored back into your community. This woman who had no place and no voice and no, she was ostracized from community, far from experiencing those flourishing relationships that come with Shalom. Jesus, in her interaction with this woman, gives her a little glimpse of what true Shalom looks like. Peace with God, peace with others, restored community. And that's just one tiny little glimpse. Jesus does this time and time and time again. He embodies what it means to bring shalom to those around him. And of course, even after Jesus leaves, the rest of the New Testament builds these hopes that while Jesus has come to bring shalom, one day in the future, we will experience that shalom that peace in all of its fullness because Jesus has come. In Colossians, Paul writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things. Not just me and you, all things. Everything in heaven and on earth by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. We could say lots about that, but we're going to fast forward right to the very end. Revelation gives us this final picture of what shalom looks like, of what the renewal of all things look like. 
It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there will be no there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice on the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. At the very end of our story, we get another beautiful picture of Shalom. But it's important to understand the, what's happening here. This is not us escaping off the earth one day so that we can finally experience peace. This is the coming together of heaven and earth. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to earth and we find that God's final dwelling place is with his people on earth. A renewed, a restored creation where we will finally experience that true shalom of perfect relationships with God and with others and with all of God's creation. This is the goal, the telos, the end point of our story. Shalom, peace. As we come to Christmas this year, we celebrate this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus comes to inaugurate. This is the kind of kingdom that we as followers of Jesus can anticipate in the future. The question for us this morning that we just want to reflect on for a few minutes is what difference does that make now? It's fine to read all of these verses and think this is our story, but what difference does it make to our lives today? And the first thing I think that I want to reflect on is that the fact that our future hope has to invade our current present. Our future hope invades our present. Because Jesus has come to usher in this kingdom of peace, this kingdom of shalom, but it's not fully here yet. We see glimpses of it in our world, but we still await the fullness of God's peace. But knowing the end of the story has to make a difference in the present, right? Knowing the end of the story makes a difference now. Funnily enough, this is my um, experience as a St Kilda supporter. Funnily enough, being a St Kilda supporter has given me quite a few sermon illustrations over the years. But this is my experience as a St Kilda supporter. Now, there's a numerous photos like this. Um, they all look a bit the same of St Kilda supporters traipsing off the ground at the end of the day um, in tears because of how badly they've gone. Um, but this has been my experience as a supporter as well. And strangely enough, you would think that actually supporting a team like this for so many years would be, uh, you know, frustrating and anxiety-inducing and all the rest. But far from it. It's actually the opposite. Watching football for me is a very peaceful experience most of the time uh, because I know what the end result is going to be before the game even starts. There's something about knowing the end of the story that allows me to be peaceful in the present. And it's a bit like that for us as followers of Jesus. Knowing the end of the story gives us a unique sense of perspective in the here and now. And unlike a St Kilda storyline, the end of our story is really, really, really good news. And when we allow that vision of the future to invade our present moment, It can have a massive impact on the peace that it's able to bring us. 
it's in, our, it's in this anticipation that we have of all that God is doing and will ultimately do that we can find this sense of beauty in the brokenness of our world and peace in the chaos that we find ourselves in the world. That's our challenge as followers of Jesus, to live with that sense of perspective. And yet, I think living within our culture, just like everyone else, one of the biggest challenges that we have individually, I think, is that often we find or often we think that we can find peace in the next thing. You know, life feels chaotic, life feels anxious at the moment, but if I can just get that next job or that next relationship or go on that next holiday or do that next thing, then I will finally be at peace. We think we can get it in the next thing. But ultimately, these are temporary. It's an, it's an illusion. We've got our kids with us this morning. It's a bit like getting a crying baby to sleep. You know, there's a moment of peace, but you know it can't last. That blissful moment doesn't last. It's only a matter of time before you're kind of thrown back into chaos again. But the peace that we experience as followers of Jesus is not about finding a magic bullet to escape the complexity of the world. But it's entrusting that Jesus has overcome the world. It's not about escaping the world, but trusting that Jesus has overcome the world. And apologies if I've told this story before, but um, I heard a, a guy called Gary Hagen a few years ago, the founder of International Justice Mission. Um, and this story has just stuck with me as a prime example of what it means to trust Jesus in the complexity of the world. The work that IJM do uh, is in the most dangerous parts of the world. They, they protect people from exploitation, but particularly those at risk of, of violence. And so they work in the mo- most violent places around the globe their work is the antithesis of peace they work in the most unpeaceful places you can possibly imagine and just a few years ago now three IJM workers were killed in Kenya tragically and Gary jumped on a plane he's based in the US to fly to Kenya to be with his people on the ground and the whole time that he was on the flight he was convinced that the work in Kenya would be destroyed and perhaps in other parts of the world because of the palpable fear that people on the ground would would feel over there. He was convinced that he would have to go and try to kind of bring this thing together because people would be all over the place. And yet when he got off the plane in Kenya, what he found on the ground there was a team that were strangely at peace. They weren't prepared to run away. They wanted to stay and commit themselves to the work. Because at the centre of that community was Jesus. And these people working for IJM in Kenya were convinced that while they would experience trouble, that the Jesus they served had overcome the world. That, that was their perspective. That was what hung, that, that's what they hung their hat on in terms of their work. They were allowing God's future They were allowing the work of Jesus to invade their present moment. And that's our challenge. How do we experience peace in a world that is complex and far from at peace? We do that by understanding who Jesus is, what he has done, the kind of future that we anticipate, 
and we allow that story to invade our present moment. And the second thing that I want to reflect on as we think about that is this idea that if we do that, that allows us to become agents of shalom in our world. That we are agents of God's future in our present moment as we go about our lives. Because that kind of perspective doesn't just enable us to feel peace within ourselves, but actually compels us. It moves us out to go and go into our society and culture while we anticipate what Jesus is doing in reconciling all things. One of the little bits of terminology that I often share with people is not, certainly not mine. It was coined by a guy called Nicholas Waltersdorf. And he says that as followers of Jesus, we are called to be aching visionaries. Aching visionaries. And what he's talking about there is this idea that we are people who, who know what is. So we look around our world, whether it's close to home or whether it's on a global scale, and we see the way, we're acutely aware of the way the world is, and it makes us ache that it's not the way it should be. But we're not just people that, that ache, we are people who are aching visionaries. We have this sense of where the world is going. We know, we have a sense of what could be. So we know what is and we know what could be. We are aching visionaries and each of us as Jesus followers are called to be aching visionaries in and for our world and what that does is it fills our lives with an acute sense of purpose that we're actually we're not called to just wait around for Jesus to come back one day so that we can escape to go to heaven we live with an acute sense of purpose now that as we go about our lives in every area of our lives in every place that we may go we go there as agents of God's shalom as aching visionaries in and for our world and what that means is that if Jesus spent his time bringing life to others, giving them dignity and place and value and establishing right relationships. If Jesus spent his time enabling people to experience flourishing relationships, to get a glimpse of what God's shalom looks like, then as followers of Jesus, we are compelled to go out into our world and do and be the same, to follow in the very footsteps of Jesus as an agent of God's shalom. And if God has not and will not abandon his creation, then neither should we. If God is interested in redeeming every aspect of his society, of culture, then we must go into every corner of our world and be those people as well. Agents of shalom for his creation. And what a privilege that is to have the opportunity to go and give the world around us a little glimpse of what God's peace looks like in a complex and unpeaceful world. But that's who we are. One last quote for you. I love the way that, I think actually this is attributed to Tim Keller as well, but it's in a book written by Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman. And they say this, that the end of our story, Revelation 21 and 22, make it clear that the ultimate purpose of of redemption is not to escape the material world but to renew it 
God's purpose is not only saving individuals, but also inaugurating a new world based on justice and peace and love, not power, strife and selfishness. In the end, brokenness, injustice, violence, greed, lust and all sin and its effects will be overcome, wiped out so the world can be recreated in harmony with God's original intent. And it's this vision of the future that should infect how we imaginatively engage with our work, our relationships and our society. And I just wonder as we finish this morning what that means for us in all of those arenas. What does it mean for us in our personal relationships? In the way that we interact with each other and our families and those around us. How might we, like Jesus, be people that give others around us a little glimpse of shalom? How might we invite them into the flourishing relationships that God desires for us? How might we, in our work, in our study, whether it's on a massive scale or a tiny scale, whether it's on a global level or in our local community, how might we imaginatively engage with our work so that we can bring a little piece of shalom in the area that we get to influence. Because the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of peace. And in a complex, unpeaceful world, God invites us through Christ to be agents of his shalom in our world. Let's just pray. Jesus, we thank you that we get the opportunity to to be your people. We thank you that, that you came into our world, you moved into our neighborhood to bring this kingdom of peace. Thank you for showing us what that looks like. The way that you lived, the way that you interacted, the way that you loved, the way that you brought people back to life. We thank you that you give us a sense of what that looks like lived out. But we also thank you that we have this beautiful future that we get to anticipate. Help us to know what it looks like to be your agents of peace in our world. In every conversation we have, in every relationship that we develop, in the work that we get to do. Help us to be people who give others around us a little glimpse of what your future looks like in the present. We thank you that you could have done all this on your own and you invite us into this. You invite us to partner with you in the renewal of all things. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to just reflect with another song this week. So we had Oh Holy Night last week. Uh, today it's, it came upon a midnight clear. So just as we think about what God invites us into through the coming of Jesus, let's sit back and listen to this song.
So each week we want to take an opportunity uh, to do a creative activity that enables us to take what we've been processing out into our week. Uh, as we've been exploring, as we're going to continue to explore, we live in this now and not yet reality where we know Jesus has come to bring hope and peace and joy and love into our lives and we know one day we'll get to experience that all the time, but we live in this not yet reality where it's not our experience and yet Jesus is the one who invites us to be the ones who take that out as as Mark's been talking about. And so today we want to think about what it looks like to be peace creators as we head out uh, into the different circles that we're moving into this week. So we've got some candles at uh, the tables scattered around the place and some paint pens. And what we'd love to do today is to recognise that Jesus comes as the light of the world. That Jesus comes to illuminate what life is supposed to be all about uh, and to shine the light of hope and peace and joy and love into our reality But Jesus also calls us to be his light bearers and to be peace creators, as I said. And so what we'd love you to do is to take one of the candles uh, and to write on the glass around the outside of it with one of the paint pens something uh, that is meaningful for you that resembles what peace and shalom looks like. So it might be a word, it could be an image that you want to draw on it but just something that you can then take out into this week. And then we hope you'll leave it somewhere so that you can light it a few times throughout the week uh, and be reminded again that Jesus has come to bring that light of peace into the world, but also that we've got the opportunity to shine that uh, in the different places that we go. So what I want you to do is uh, jump up, head to one of the tables, grab one of the candles, grab a paint pen, write a word, draw an image on there that you're then going to take out uh, into this week. And then in a few minutes' time, we'll wrap up this part of our gathering and move into some coffees.